This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. I'm joined, as always, with Jim Sebastio. We're going to get started here in just one minute. Before we do that, I want to encourage you to go to practicalshepherding.com. You can access all of our resources, including, Jim, all kinds of podcast episodes, especially with you know the break we had through the summer. Hopefully, you got caught up on some of the episodes that you hadn't listened to yet, but we're back at it recording new episodes, and uh, we want to... Uh, we want to be able to serve you in whatever way we can. So go to the website. You can reach us. Go to the contact page and reach out to us as a ministry if we can serve you in any way, including if you want to just put up a, a, a topic for us to try to tackle for the podcast, whatever what w- would be helpful to you. But but let us know a way we can be helpful to you. Uh, books, resources, all kinds of other things on the website there. And we still have a few spots open in the fall to come stay at the Shepherd's House. So if you'd like to come to the cabin, two nights, two days, totally free you just got to get yourself here we even stock the pantry and the fridge with food Jim it's all you got to do is get yourself here and we take we take care of you so uh, love for you to apply to come stay go to the go to that tab there and you can apply and you can bring your wife if you would like to bring your wife with you you cannot bring your kids that's intentional so there you go Uh, we want to just be you all so come and stay with us it's filling up but we do have a few more spots in the fall if you'd like to come and and be a part of that for our topic today, Jim, it, this is something we realize we really haven't talked much about. And as much as we agree on things, th- this is one of those areas where you and I have kind of gone two different paths mm-hmm. throughout our whole ministry. So mm-hmm. looking forward to this conversation, and that is the the purpose behind affiliations of churches, denominations, networks of churches, churches working together, but doing so in all kinds of, of different ways. We want to tackle this one because this is something that that we've been asked even recently on social media to, to try to address, and we try to do that as much as we can. But the other reason we want to talk about this is there's kind of been some implosions around mm-hmm. denominational structures, hasn't there? I mean, so so this is a relevant topic we feel we want to talk about. And, and just to give you a heads up, we are, we are as you normally see, listen to on, on this podcast, we don't, we don't tackle a bunch of things to, to try to be... Uh, controversial or even address specific things on how to deal with certain even denominations. We want to speak generally, principally about this issue with hopes that whatever network or denomination that you are part of, or if you're not at all, and you're even trying to evaluate whether that would be worth it, our hope is that the perspectives we're going to bring is going to be able to address that. So just know that up front, we're not, we're not going to hash out what's going on with this denomination or that denomination but we do want to talk about this in theory, knowing we both have experienced different kinds of experiences with this. So, Jim, would you maybe just help us first by setting this up from a biblical perspective? Where, where would you go in talking about churches that affiliate, churches that even form groups and denominations and things? Sure. Uh, well, Brian, I think we, we have to understand that in the initial, certainly as the scriptures are laid out, uh, you know, you're trying to argue, you know, if, what would I do exegetically? And I think there are a couple of passages that you would go to as you try to hold certain things in tension. And, and, and for obviously the, those who are listening, I think most people know both of us are Baptists. Uh, you have been for most of your or all of your public ministry you you've been southern baptist uh i'm i i'm i am a confessional baptist but and i'll say this in a minute you know i'll get into but i we have not been formally affiliated with any network or denomination 
at this point, 33 years into our, our church life, although it's been talked about. But if somebody were to say and try to make a, make a case, I think you'd have several things. And that is that, so as Baptists, we hold to a view of independence, and that is that each individual church is under the lordship and headship of Christ. Yeah. Autonomy. Yeah. Autonomy yeah. And, and, and to a degree independence is, is part of our uh, Baptist heritage, and, and we have reasons for holding to that. However, we do see in the scriptures that churches uh, had fellowship uh, with one another, that they cooperated with one another. You see this in Acts chapter 13, as uh, people come from different churches and then are sent out by uh, the church in Antioch to do uh, missions work. Uh, you you have references in uh, certainly Acts chapter 15, that there's a church council that's held with the apostles and the elders uh, from uh, other churches. You have references in First uh, Thessalonians, and again, I'm just bringing out here the reality that these churches were not out there uh, on our own. So that Paul writes, for instance, in First Thessalonians two, fourteen, for you brethren became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea. So they, you know, here they were in Thessalonica, they had fellowship with and and got to know well enough to the point that they could imitate yeah. uh, you yep. know, some of the structure, perhaps and their new church and well how did you all do this and how do we get this started and and how do you have this framework and how do you do your uh how do you handle your money or you know how do you handle your church leadership those kinds of things there's obviously cooperation and interaction and we mm. could multiply that um you know in first and second corinthians uh the book of romans as well the apostle paul uh, talks about at the end of uh, Romans, um, Romans chapter 16, it says, all the churches of Christ greet you. Uh, and so Paul uh, realizes that these churches knew of them. Uh, and again, it says that again to the Thessalonians, your faith is made known throughout the churches. Uh, so Paul went from church to church. Those churches knew of each other. They shared letters with each other. They knew who the various teachers and preachers were that yeah. Paul references. They knew who Timothy was, Sylvanus was, etc. Those things are known and shared in the life of the church. So I would say that there is obviously some degree of interchurch, uh, labor, working, knowledge, prayer, sharing of resources that went on. Yeah. That's kind of the basis I think some would say, well, that's why we network, associate, have formal associations, formal denominations built around common conviction and common calling and purpose. Yeah, that's good. And I think that it needs to be acknowledged as we kind of get into this that though you've never officially been a part of a denomination, you you have worked very hard to do exactly what you described just then. Yes. You, you, you've affiliated with the churches. One of the things I really honor about the, your church and the churches you affiliate with is the, the effort and the resources that you have yeah. poured in through the years to do mission work alongside other churches. Yeah, mission work, ministerial training yeah. uh, here and abroad. Yeah, pastoral fellowships, working pastoral with other pastors. Right, right. So that's so. Let's uh, and of course, mine is a little. My story is a little different. That's probably maybe where we should start. Is is let's give the perspective on on how we're different. I'll, I'll start, and then you can jump in. Yeah, I, I I grew up in a Methodist church. Yeah, you're right. I'd say about 90, 90 to ninety five percent of my uh, pastoral ministry was involved. Of twenty five years was involved in in Baptist churches, particularly churches tied in different ways to the Southern Baptist hmm. church, Southern Baptist denomination. And I, I became a Christian in that 
setting as well. So okay. I, yeah, that's right. That's I, right. So, uh, you're, so I, I you're have, one of us, Jim. No, we won't get into uh, that. So, well, yeah. no, but I think it's an interesting <laughs> thing because I became a part of a church that left the Southern Baptist um, okay, denomination yeah. Yeah. in like 1980 something. Okay. So it wasn't recent. It was it was way back when. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, you know, so I, I have affiliation both with it and and with and you know being a part of a denomination, leaving a denomination, and then making the decision in planting a church not to be part of oh, a okay. denomination. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, the the a lot of people don't know this about me, but I spent a year on staff uh, as a at, at a Methodist church, this rural yeah. country Methodist church, and so that's a whole other part of my story. And it was it was like. Uh, over 25 about 25 years ago when, when that was going on so but i so i have different denominations a college i was a part of church it was just a whole nother denomin- non-denomination so i've got more of an eclectic background in regard to denominational structures but most all the churches i was a part of jim were a part of a denomination right. in some way yeah you've always been you've so, always been part of it so i've really so kind of yeah. always been a part of churches in that way and so i, I want to highlight that because particularly when i pastored auburndale for 17 years that was a Southern Baptist church, and we were affiliated with the SBC. I, you know, one of the reasons I pastored a church that was affiliated with the domination is that's what I inherited in the church, mm-hmm. and so and didn't feel strong enough to try to lead the church away from a denomination. In fact, I saw a lot of the benefits, which we'll get into yeah, in a minute. That's right. I think so, that's important. But what about your back? You started with yours. Uh, so you decided to plant a church without without being tied to denomination. Will you get into that a little? Yeah, bit? Yeah, I can just give a, a little bit of, of of this history here. And and among Reformed Baptist churches, there's there is a lot of discussion and a lot of rarely passionate discussion about how formal association should be. Some see it that there's a section in our Confession of Faith that some would say demands that every church be a part of a formally structured. Um, uh, association yeah, or, or yeah. denomination, and others have believed that that should be more relational based, providence based, etc. Uh, some believe in national, some international, some regional association. So there's a lot of different debate and discussion. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I you know I was influenced by uh, my mentors, and so uh, I was converted. I was 14 years old. I had never been a part of a church. Um, and when I found out that the church that I was, had been invited to, where I first heard the gospel and had some friends that were going to, I can't remember at what point I heard that they were Southern Baptists, but that didn't really mean anything sure. to me. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what that meant. Uh, interestingly, the the uh, new president of the United States, Jimmy Carter, was a Southern Baptist. Oh, right. So it was in. So I knew it was out there in the news a little bit, and then. Over the coming years, caught wind of the you know, beginnings of a conservative resurgence, which I think some tie into more recent or into the 90s, but really in the 70s, uh, that begins moral majority, uh, you know, becomes, you know, there's the political aspects and the theological, the battle for the Bible. Yep. Uh, a lot of this was going on uh, in the 70s. And so uh, at, at that point, the uh, SBC was making a lot of what we would have considered, you know, better decisions and were more conservative, um, ideologically, morally, and theologically. And so happy to be a part of that. And it really wasn't until I went to Bible college that in the Bible college I went to in South Carolina uh, encouraged you to go to a church uh, that was a part of your denomination, stay in your denomination. And that was my first 
uh, entrance into SBC life outside of a very narrow focus. The, the, the Southern Baptist churches I knew uh, in upstate New York, where I was converted, uh, were a, a solid expository preaching, verse-by-verse exposition, uh, serious-minded, powerful preaching, and then I got into the more, you know, what, what some people would say is more typical life uh, decisionism, walk in the aisle, social club, Christianity. Uh, I remember the first few weeks I was down there, and again, I'm not trying to lump everything together, but I'm simply saying this was my experience. I didn't even open my Bible for the first uh, number of, of weeks that I visited church after church after church after yeah, church. Yeah. And I eventually wound up actually going to a PCA church um, for a good bit of my time. Then the last year I was preaching at a little uh, independent uh, Baptist church. Wait, wait, wait. I, how old? How old? Uh, 22. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, yeah. That's a whole other story. Yeah, that, yeah. I've got, I got, brother, I got some stories anyway <laughs> uh, of what I was involved in. But so then I, uh, my church back home left the SBC. So um, my Southern Baptist Church left the Southern Baptist Convention somewhere around 1984, 85, I think. It's somewhere, it's somewhere around there. So that by the time uh, I was getting done with Bible college and was looking into seminary. And my pastor was not encouraging me to go to Southwestern or yeah, Southern, yep. Southern or you know any of the other Southern Baptist seminaries, but rather to attend a small church-based confessional seminary in New Jersey, which is which is what I did. And so again, as much as I knew, I didn't know a whole lot. It, it was just the 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 main issues were that uh, he felt the more confessional uh, and reformed uh, that he and the church became the less they felt they had in common and the less comfortable they were with putting their money into a, an organization that had, while it had things that they could support and be thankful for there were also a lot of decisions being made there was a lot of uh, assumed relationships that they felt like i, I don't want to i just don't want to do and so they became independent it, it was uh, and while at the same time they became independent, at the same they also began to be more closely associated with a group of like-minded churches. Yeah. So, in my circles, you'll hear that little that that phrase a lot: like-minded churches. And yeah. so there was a very purposeful fellowship, interaction with relationships, ch- exchanging pulpits, resources, help, counsel, advice being given among this rather informal but like-minded group of people that you really felt you knew. So that's a real quick yep, thumbnail. That, that's helpful. And I think I want to highlight just some categories, not assuming every all the listeners kind of know these dynamics, but the, the idea of autonomy, the idea that a local church is independently governed on their own, that that's like you said it's very baptist and that you but you can also have that and still be a part of a denomination right. there's tons several baptist kinds of denominations right or like you're talking about you just be independent like that and you're not affiliated versus other denominations where like even and I think presbyterianism and methodist that that there's a there's authority bound within the denomination yeah. anglicanism other anglicanism right. certainly you get further down the line in that way so we will, and and then there's then there's networks right. that that have kind of emerged in the last yeah. I'd say two decades. I yeah I I would think that I'd be I'd be curious to talk to a, a more knowledgeable uh, his church historian to see, but I think that that's accurate. Well, well you that have you I started mean, hearing of you have I mean you have the versions of that even back in the what the 1800s you know with the the modern mission movement is is really where a lot of this started to organize when you're talking about. 
Um, you're talking about you know, Carrie and yeah. How uh, are we gonna? How are we gonna send missionaries? That's how right. are we gonna yeah. educate Andrew uh, Fuller and pastors? And, and if you want a further reading on that kind of stuff, there's nobody better than Michael Haken who yeah. writes about Fuller and and the relationships of those pastors. But it's a different conversation. For our for this our time today, Jim, I think what would be helpful is is for us to kind of go back and forth on. So I spent most of my ministry affiliated with denominations. You have not. I, I would like for us to maybe serve the listener who's maybe wrestling through sh- which one should I be a part of and, and do I join one or right. do I leave one? And I right. think the reason I want to bring this up is is in in this in this modern day right now, what's happening is there's a lot of conversation around this. I was just telling you, I, I was traveling this past weekend and the amount of conversations that I ended up having and getting asked about, I'm getting asked this regularly. Hey, do I leave my denomination? Here's the situation. Or hey, do I join this network or do I leave this network? And right. I'm getting conver- I'm getting a lot of questions around that. So yeah. we assume others are asking that. So let's maybe tackle this. Let me. So let's go back and forth. I'll first say the reason why why did I support our church in being in a denomination and <clears throat> continuing to lead there? One one benefit I would say is there's already a built-in structure of affiliation and partnership that's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that that is one of the benefits of established denominations. There's obviously downsides to it. Sure. Uh, but I, I found it helpful. So in, being in the, SBC, in the SBC, you know, to, to, to look and see this kind of a, for lack of a better term, this army that's already been assembled for, for missions mm-hmm. in regard to the North American Mission Board, so for North America, and then the International Mission Board for the global mission effort, you know, and, and again, there's pluses and minuses to having a gigantic organization that does sure. that. But it, I, I, I'm always struck by when I see the the financial giving of those two organizations and sure. think, yeah. this is, I mean, this is literally from a financial perspective. In history, there's never been a a more a larger amount of money that's just pooled to pour into yeah. missions. Now, I mean, and, you that know, we, can, you know, and that can sound crass and carnal, but when you're thinking about it, 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 you know, well, money, you know, it's all about money. But it, you know, but, I, I had a man say years ago, the kingdom of God is fueled by cash. Now, uh-huh. he said that in a way that sounded, you know, it was almost shocking <laughs> to hear it. But I understand, you know what what meant, I, but yeah. I understand what he means by that. That's and right. that is, if you're going to have churches planted, they need a place to meet, they need somebody to oversee them. They need, you know, and, and so and, those resources mean cash. And by the way, I, I believe there's really a lot of good in missionaries having to raise their own support. Yeah. So that's a different conversation. However, what I watched in the SBC was this ability for people to be called to the mission field and to be able to just go, go get assessed, get trained, and then go because this pool of money existed to be able to send missionaries yeah. already. Now, I, I, I would make an argument that there's benefits to raising your own support as a missionary, but I'm just saying there's also benefits for people. I have many friends through the years who went to be NAM missionaries or IMB missionaries yeah. And it, it was a great blessing for them to be able to go under that context. So I would say that's one benefit. What would you say is a benefit to being totally independent like you all have been all this time? <laughs> yeah. Well, again, well, uh, the positive and negative side of the word association. Yeah. It's who and what you're associating yourself with. And, and what does <laughs> your affiliation mean or say about your church, about how it functions, about what it believes, about what it supports, about 
what because it has both negative and, and positive. There are things in almost any denomination that gets to be any size that that is going to taint it. Uh, you know, there are going to be scandals associated with it, and when you're not a part of it, they don't they don't, they don't hit you. And you know, so it's like, hey, we're going to make our own mess. <laughs> you know, rather than be associated with the mess of others. And I think, Brian, I, you have to ask the question, <clears throat> why are we being a part of this? What are we saying? And you need to convey that to your congregation. Because in, in some denominations, you're not saying, look, we are making a doctrinal stand by being a part of it. There are some organizations, some denominations, I, I think, you know, something, I've had some friendship with guys in, let's say, the OPC, Orthodox Presbyterian yeah, Church, yeah. which is a more narrow and smaller denomination than, say, the PCA. It's, it is more purposefully Westminster Confession or something like that, yeah, yeah. and where the PCA is a bit broader. Some are very confessional, some are not, and it just is a broader. SBC, for some people, they would say, no, we re- these are the doctrines that are most surely believed among us. Or is it more functional or utilitarian? Yeah, great point. Yeah, is this is this a way? Because it, it's not necessarily saying anything. And this had been my when somebody had asked me years ago, "Do you want to be a part of this?" And I, I I'm going to tell you what I said back then, and I, I don't know that I'd say all of it now, but I, I probably would. <laughs> I'm nicer now. I'm older and nicer. You are. Now. You, are little, you have mellowed, little... Jim. You have. You have. <laughs> but I, what I said is that it means everything and nothing simultaneously. Mm. Was so I was put out in some cases with some people because I I wasn't part of the club. Mm. But if I had joined the club, it wouldn't necessarily had said anything about how I practice what I believe. And I said, you know, you had you had at that point you have Al Gore and Al Mohler and you know Billy Graham and you know Bill Clinton are part of the same denomination or mm-hmm. whatever. And I thought, well, what does it say? Does it say anything about what you believe or what you practice? And if I said to somebody, hey, I want you to go to a church that's associated with now, this is becoming more and more the case today. Yeah, where you say there there is some more while there is some individuality that if you said, hey, we belong to such and such a network or such and such a denomination, that increasingly that means, oh, you believe or that you practice a certain way. Sure, yeah. Uh, this is what I suspect the, the music is going to be like, the leadership's going to be like, the preaching style, and it's a shared vision rather than a shared mission. And yeah. so I think I think for many people, some some denominations, it's a shared mission, broadly speaking, that will help fund and structure. And you, particularly as a new struggling group, can be plugged into, uh, you can be a branch brought into the vine that has a lot of nutrients and a lot mm. of resources that are going to flow to you without necessarily shaping your theological or practical identity. Yeah, that's good. I, I would add another benefit. And by the way, we're talking, I think it's denominations as well as networks that exist. The another the other benefit I would I would highlight other than what I said the first time and that's just the pool of resources and things yeah. is the 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 built in again it's in theory but the built in fellowship of churches mm-hmm. and I would say pastors in particular so I mean our, our ministry exists to care for pastors you and I both uh, have have a, a ability to build relationships with other pastors and form things. But I've learned not everybody is gifted that way. Not everybody knows how to kind of pull people together and build friendships and relationships. When these structures already exist, it can foster that in a way 
that the guy who's all alone by himself in a rural context doesn't mm. know how to take the initiative mm. to try to build those relationships. Right. But if he goes to the annual meeting of a, you know, of a denomination, or he goes to the pastor fellowships that are organized many times by these networks. It's one of the reasons they exist. Then it's already it's just built in the, you know, the 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 culture of that network or that denomination. That pastors should be connected, churches should be connected. And it can create some camaraderie in a way that in an independent setting, you have to make more effort to try to figure out how to find that. So I, mm. I do think that is that is another benefit of the denomination and the and the network of being a part of it. Uh, one more for you, Jim. Well, one, one more benefit maybe of of not being a part of something like that. Yeah, well, Brian. I, I, you know, so the the matter of resources goes two ways. Yeah. And one is generally to be a part of the kind of association, you have to allocate some of your your resources, uh, and you don't know where all of that's going. That may go to things that you very much support, but again, it all goes into one pool. Right. And, and so, uh, do you support that? I struggled, Brian. I'm going to be you know. So I'll say you know, my struggle with even in my own group of of reform Baptist guys. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm just saying this. I don't mean anybody to blow anything up as a result of this. I'm just telling you my view and my opinion that I struggle with taking a guy who's a pastor of a church or so, you know, we, we need pastors and taking a guy who's a pastor of a church. And then now, because the denomination becomes its own little machine that needs to be sustained and perpetuated. Yeah. And that means it has a certain degree. So it needs a coordinator, and now he's going to be a full-time coordinator, and that means you're going to take a guy who was a useful pastor and then plug him into this role. And I think, well, the church the church is more important than the organization yeah. and the structures, yeah. and it damages churches sometimes to pull people out and, and the resources and time spent with a machinery that you created yeah. to make this rather than, again, the more informal where there's no dues, you know, nobody's in charge kind of a thing. Yeah. But you get together and, yeah, you do. You pull your resource. You know exactly where it's going. We, we sent out a, a missionary family to Zambia years ago. Every dollar that we received yeah. from that, every single dollar went to that. I remember, th- I remember you talking about that. It didn't go that, to yeah. a coordinator. It didn't go to a mission representative. It didn't, it didn't pass through any kind of a sieve uh, to make it happen. Every dollar went to Zambia. It went to the orphans. It went to the ministerial training. It went to the support of the family there. I think that's rather than saying, well, how many cents on a dollar you, know, you give to UNICEF you know, the, the head of UNICEF makes whatever, $4 million a year. So you recognize, okay, I'm doing March of Dimes or I'm doing whatever. How many of those dimes are going actually to a kid and how much of it is going to a structure? So that was something I struggled with. That's an excellent point because that is that is the the pushback I'm hearing over, over a lot, quite, quite a bit with both denominations and networks because, like you said, there's usually fees or a percentage that you give to that. Where does it go, and and how is that supposed to be divided up? There's been a lot of controversy around that. So, I want to shift here, Jim. Last few minutes. So, let's say somebody somebody's listening to this right now, and they are wrestling through, you know, do I join something, or the wrestling through, is it worth continuing to to stay? I, I'll say right. this is somebody who inherited, uh, if somebody inherited, uh, a, being a part of uh, a major denomination. I needed to 
to really evaluate. I mean, I needed a really good reason to leave that denomination mm-hmm. more so than just status quo. You just keep plugging on. It's part of right. the, I mean, I was doing revitalization work. That was part of the deal. But I, you know, I was planning a church right now. I, I really don't, I would have to really put some thought into what I'd do with this. I, you know, because I think what we just said, we, I think we both established there's benefits and downsides to both sides to this. So I just right. want to acknowledge that if you're wrestling with this, this is a legitimate wrestling. And, but I would start by saying, if you are part of a denomination or you're a part of a network of some kind and you go to that church, uh, that regardless on your strong convictions, that's got to be part of the revitalization process of a church hmm. to sort through. I don't think you, I don't think you, that's not one of the drastic changes that you should make uh, early on, in my opinion, just as a general rule. But Jim, somebody who's wrestling one way or the other, just maybe advice, wisdom you would want to throw out there for them as they're trying yeah, to wrestle. I, again, it. I think you need to ask yourself. So, if you're in, or if you want to join, you know, you, I think you need to ask yourself what's what is my reason, what's my rationale, what's my purpose? Am I trying to network with like-minded people? Am I making a theological statement? Am I making a moral statement? Uh, on some of the major moral issues of the day, because denominations, some denominations are making statements. Yeah, those those statements belong to the organization and to the structure, so that let's say, um, oh, I'll I'll make up uh, the United Berean Churches or whatever, and they say we fully endorse the LBGT transgender movement. Well, you say, well, I don't, I don't hold to that, and our church doesn't hold to that. I've preached against it, but now it becomes a banner part of. So anybody who wants to support that may be drawn to that, but for others now, it does associate you. You, you are now associated with a theological, practical, moral, political position. And you want to ask yourself, is that what I want to be? Because if I say I am part of United Berean Association of Churches, that means I, f- I fly the rainbow flag. Yeah. And for somebody else to say I, I over my dead body, well, then that means I can I in any way be a part of this? this is what and obviously this is a very real situation. And sure. So, yeah. And for others, you know, they, they're going to say, right, does my name and does this carries to some degree my endorsement? Uh, I'm saying I am a part of this. I'm saying, you know, our, our funds go to this. We, you know, if you're SBC, there's uh, dues and then there's, there's you know, to cooperative networks. There's Lottie Moon. There's missions, you know, whatever it is. Right. And you say, okay, what's that going for? What's that do? Does that really represent us? If it does, then, yeah, you're going to probably want to lead your church to go into it. But if not, if it's increasingly, if certain things are, and this is, it's such a big tent, you know, so that some of these places are more narrow. Others are such a big tent. You say, I can continue to exist, hold all my convictions, and it's still okay within that framework to be what I am. That doesn't make me not that. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you're part of the one and you're going to say, well, I can't fly that flag, it makes me not that, and yeah. therefore you have to leave. Yeah, that's a good point. I, w- I would probably say something very similar to that, and, and that is if you – um, if you see all the benefits of affiliating with a network or a denomination, and it's probably not that radical, like that's a pretty clear cut. Yeah, in it my is. Mind. But, but, but you know, hundreds of churches are fi- are facing it right now. So, yes, that's right. true. But I'm saying, yeah. if in the midst of this, I think as somebody who was a part, who's who was a big denominational person, 
generally in my pastoral ministry that I, I never agreed with everything that was right, happening. Right, right, right. But see, one weighing the benefits to the, to to that is is one thing. So I think you have to weigh that. I think you have to weigh you know what are the benefits of being. And by the way, denominations are kind of having an identity crisis and networks for that matter now, because one of the things that's causing this conversation is they always they always have to be proving themselves to be valuable enough for you to be a part of them. Right. And that's just an interesting dynamic going on right now, because if a church concludes, you know. What what do you do for us? You know what what, what right. where, if I don't see any tangible benefit, then that's what causes some churches and pastors leading churches to go. Why are we a part of this? So I would say you have to really weigh out the benefits, and if you see the benefits really are positive, the benefit there's tangible benefits for you as a church, then I I think you can I think you can hold your nose to quite a few things in in that particular network or that denomination because. There's not going to be one that exists that's going to, especially if it's if it's a pretty big tent and you want to be a part of a you know a major denomination. I'll I'll speak from an SBC perspective. I mean the 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 mission force of the IMB is unmatched, but that gigantic tent creates all kinds of diverse, even confessional beliefs about yeah, things and practices and right. practices. And so you know it's kind of that's why you have to. There's good and bad about all of this. I would say, and I think you have to ask the question: Are the benefits outweighing? The downside to this, and and yeah. really and, and having conversations with your leadership in your church to figure out how to really answer that question for your particular church, and then I think you have to make your decisions around that. Yeah, and and is the denomination so as you said broadly or narrowly defining itself that allows for that kind of diversity? I agree. In some cases, it's narrowing to the point where you say either this really does clearly identify who I am, it more clearly identifies who I am, or. It, it, it is pushing me out uh, as a result of their clarity, yeah. uh, doctrinal clarity rather than doctrinal breadth. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, Brian, have you seen it? Just real quickly, I'm curious. Uh, I think I've seen this, and, I'm, I've, and, and from my outsider perspective, uh, what I see is that it is harder for the older folks who have run the denomination to entice younger pastors, younger churches, newer churches, church plants, to see the benefits and joys of the association that were kind of a given in past, in the past, like, for instance, even like politically, I mean, up until recently, I mean, everybody's either Democrat or Republican, and now, you know, people are more, well, I'm libertarian, or I'm independent, I'm this and I'm that, and to try to... Or a mix in one church. Or a mix, and so, yeah. you know, for y- younger people, less clearly identify themselves with maybe they view as outmoded forms of representation. Yeah. Uh, and they don't like the. They feel it's more of a straitjacket. Do you do you see that? Is that is that accurate or I, I do? It's interesting. It's a good question because what one of the things I, I've seen in, in several different denominations that a lot of these networks have existed only in one generation. So, uh, yeah. but the denominations obviously have lasted a lot longer. And one of the things I see is older pastors uh, functioned with a an obligation to be a part of this. Almost, it's not about even convictionally that. This is where we are. It's just you no. Know, I'm if I'm pastor at church that's part of the PCA or part of the SBC or whatever it is, I'm I'm obligated to stay. I'm obligated even to participate mm. in the denomination things. I'm obligated to lead our church to give money. The older generation, as as a whole, I have found they felt an obligation to do that. I was <clears throat> not lectured, but I was urged strongly by an older pastor. <clears throat> 
when I when I started going to the local association meetings of the, of, of our Southern Baptist Convention, he said he's the one that actually said this to me. The fact that you are an SBC pastor, you need to feel obligated to be a part of this. Hmm. The younger pastors, no, that's not happening as much. The younger pastors are asking more like the, those questions of, well, just because we've always done this doesn't mean we should continue. Let's evaluate. Is this worth us doing this? Is it worth sending 10% to this because it's what we've always done? Or what else could we do with that 10% that might be more profitable? Mm. So the younger pastors are questioning that, which is why a lot of the networks and certainly denominations are feeling the pressure, I think as they should, on are we giving true tangible benefit to these churches and pastors? And I think that's a good, by the way, and we can end with this, I think that's a good question. All networks and denominations should be asking themselves because the younger generation of pastors coming up are not assuming they're just going to be a part of it, all of it. Okay. So any Can final I, thought on this, Jim? I, I, I really want to ask you one final <laughs> okay, question. Okay, okay, go ahead. All right, I'm calling you up. Hi, Brian. My name's Jim. I'm starting a church. Uh, we launch next week. Should we belong to, should we belong to a denomination? Yeah. I would say uh, it would depend on... <laughs> Yeah, so I would probably have about five questions I'd ask. So that'd probably okay. be a different podcast. But but would let, you lean towards saying yes? You should be either an association, a network, or a denomination. Shouldn't it, it's too I, it's too risky to do what my buddy Jim does. I would say it's too risky to do what my buddy Jim does. Okay. I would say as a general rule, I All would right. say and and I would preface that by saying I think denomination or network some kind of established affiliation that you feel like okay. you align clearly with. I would generally say that's a good idea. Um, but but again, I think I, I, that's why this is good to have this conversation with you. It's because you've pastored for 40 plus years and your church, you know, has been existed for over <laughs> 30 years and had incredibly right. had incredibly fruitful ministry as you have functioned. So I think the big takeaway I want from this as we wrap this is uh, there's there's two ways to do this. You know, there's not a right way to do this necessarily. Right. Wrestle through this, pray, yep. ask que- good questions and figure out what is best? Uh, what is best for you? So, Jim, we pray for yeah. those wrestling through all of this. Yeah, our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would aid and guide uh, our brothers and sisters in these various churches as they work through these issues as congregations and as leadership. Pray, Father, you'll give help and wisdom uh, to navigate during these changing times and and all uh, where things seem to uh, shift uh, year to year. Uh, Give help and give grace, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen.